The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event details on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews or coverage of all the biggest stories in the nba our new show is the place to be five days a week download and follow beyond the arc on apple podcasts spotify and wherever you get your favorite podcasts welcome welcome one and all to the late show i'm your host stephen colbert well you know you can feel you can feel the sort of the energy yeah. in the news cycle picking up because the midterms are only about uh, five weeks away, something like that, maybe maybe a little bit less. And one of the key races for control of the Senate was turned completely upside down last night. I'm talking about the Georgia Senate race between incumbent Democratic senator and king of the Sears Portrait Studio, Raphael Warnock, <laughs> and GOP nominee and psychic failing to read his own mind. Herschel Walker. Walker has made headlines because he's in favor of a national abortion ban with no exceptions. Turns out, he might make one exception to that. (laughs) Because reportedly, back in 2009, Herschel Walker paid for his girlfriend's abortion. I have not seen a hypocrite this big since Gandhi did that ad for Arby's. (laughs) Be the meats you want to see in the world. (laughs) Now, of course... Walker denies it. He tweeted the report is a flat-out lie. And if there's one thing Herschel Walker knows, it's lying, because he has done a ton of it, including falsely claiming he was an FBI agent, hiding the fact that he had secret children from his own campaign, and falsely claiming he never falsely claimed to have graduated from the University of Georgia. Really? He not only... That's impressive. He not only lied, he lied about lying. What kind of lesson does that teach his secret children? (laughs) And this woman evidently has the receipt, specifically a receipt from the abortion clinic, a copy of a $700 check from Mr. Walker, and a signed get well card. This is, um, what's the word? A disaster. So Walker went on the Fox News last night and was asked about this evidence by the most effective form of birth control known to man, Sean Hannity. Jim? The Get Well card, it looks like it's included with your signature in the article. Have you seen it? And is that your signature? 
Uh, I haven't seen it, uh, but you know, I can tell you, uh, I send out so many get well, uh, send out so much of anything. Well, sure. I mean, all celebrities send cards to complete strangers. In fact, you know what? Herschel's going through a tough time right now, so uh, let me just get this done real quick. Um, hmm. Dear. Dear Herschel, get well. You know what? Get <laughs> Stephen. And I will now mail that through the television. <laughs> Walker. He's good. Walker had a pretty terrible excuse for the money, too. What about the $700 check? Is there anybody you can remember sending that much money to? Well, I, I send money to a lot of people, and that's what's so funny. I do scholarship for kids. I give money to people all the time because I'm always helping people because I believe in being generous. It's true. He does like helping people. For instance, that interview really helped Raphael Warnock. <laughs> also... Also, in the midterms, uh, there's some interesting new footage out of the Michigan governor's race where incumbent Gretchen Whitmer is running against Republican nominee and woman lecturing the waiter just how spicy she wants that to meet the ball. <laughs> Tudor Dixon. In the latest polls, Dixon's trailing Whitmer by a whopping 17 points, and she's raised so little cash that her campaign has not had the money to fund its own commercials. So, Michigan's Gratiot County Republican Party made their own commercial for Dixon, and they did not let their lack of budget or talent stop them. <laughs> Dixon shared the commercial on social media, and now, well, I'm sharing it with you. <laughs> Jim? Hey, have you seen the TV ads with the governor talking about the great things she's done for Michigan? She's a liar. Whitmer can say what she wants, but we live here. Just look around, man. During COVID, Whitmer locked down businesses like the Owasso Barber and put one woman from Holland in jail. Oh, yeah. Man. <laughs> I gotta say, Sons of Anarchy is not as good as I remember. <laughs> The community, uh, the community theater bikers had some more complaints about Whitmer. 3,000 restaurants closed. And she's pro-business? Yeah, right. And what about those higher gas and food prices? Our schools were closed for almost two years. Poor kids. And she put COVID patients in Graham's nursing home. Graham died alone. <laughs> and the Oscar goes to <laughs> Biker Gandalf. Also, <laughs> it's sad. It's so sad. <laughs> also, you can't be mad. Whitmer closed the schools and also be mad about people catching COVID. Drunk driving's up, and she closed the bars. Graham drank alone. <laughs> then it was time to plug the candidate of their choice, someone. Okay, okay, I'm voting for the other chick. 
What's her name? That's the kind of enthusiastic endorsement that'll put your campaign right over the top. Reminds me of Eisenhower's famous slogan, I like the bald dude. What's his name? Jimmy Crim Cram? Eventually, they remembered the candidate they love so dearly. Okay, okay, I'm voting for the other chick. What's her name? Tudor Dixon. Okay, let's roll. Watch out for potholes. Okay, here we go. Uh-oh, it's a pothole. I hope Graham doesn't hit it. Graham rides alone. <laughs> Of course, thank you. That was a team effort. That was a team effort. <laughs> and the Oscar goes to. <laughs> of course, the biggest issue in the midterms remains former president, the Loch Ness fraudster. All the news about him is just terrible. So yesterday, he decided to do something about it. He sued CNN for defamation, charging the channel acted with real animosity to cause him true harm. True harm? They reported the facts. That's like suing your mirror for giving you cankles. <laughs> Specifically, you sue your mom and dad. Specifically, the suit claims that CNN tried to taint the plaintiff, which is not easy. The plaintiff is mostly taint. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We're back, baby. We're back. Touch and go there for a while. With a series of ever more scandalous, false, and defamatory labels of racist, Russian lackey, insurrectionist, and ultimately Hitler. Ultimately, Hitler, of course, also the name of World War II's worst-selling cologne. <laughs> Over in Eastern Europe, uh, Ukraine's army has once again blown through Putin's forces. This is today, right? It's been coming. It really happened. Amazing. Yeah. Today, they've recaptured large swaths of territory from the Russians, and anybody who thinks they know how this war is going to end is an idiot. Enter Tesla founder and... <laughs> Evil Baron from the new season of Bridgerton, <laughs> Elon Musk. Yesterday, Elon floated an insane new plan to end the war in the most Elon Musk way possible via Twitter poll. <laughs> so, what was in Musk's plan? Redo elections of annexed regions under UN supervision, Crimea, formerly part of Russia, water supply to Crimea assured, Ukraine remains neutral. So Russia gets everything they want, but in exchange, Ukraine gives Russia everything they want. <laughs> Sounds like the kind of plan the Kremlin would thank him for, which could be why, shortly after, the Kremlin thanked him for it. <laughs> really seems like Musk is doing Russia's bidding here. Explains why his latest model Tesla is potato. <laughs> uh, yes. I like they got the old-fashioned grill. Yes. Got that old grill on the front. That's, they don't make that anymore. That's first generation. <laughs> Top Ukrainian officials clapped back at Musk's poll. Ukraine's ambassador to Germany responded, F off is my very diplomatic reply to you. 
Hey, hey. That's not right. The diplomatic reply would be, please off. We got a great show for you tonight. Coming up, journalist Maggie Haberman. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event details on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Ladies and gentlemen, my first guest is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist whose latest work is the bombshell book, Confidence Man. Please welcome Maggie Haberman. <laughs> really nice to have you on. I, obviously, I've admired your work for, for many years. As I said before, I've watched you on the Anderson Cooper Power Hour many, many times. It's really, you know what's interesting? It's fun to see you smile. <laughs> because, because you have a lovely smile, but you never smile when you're on panel. You're just like stone faced. It's like you're the ultimate poker showdown. You sound like my father. Thank you. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> I appreciate yes. that. I am loath to say to a woman, you should smile more. Well, but what I'm saying is, is that you you really do really play your cards close to your chest when you're reporting on the former president, as you do in your new book, Confidence Man. The making of Donald Trump and the breaking of America. Five hundred pages. You get you get your money's worth with this book. Um, uh, this book. Uh, there have been many books about the president, but as it says here on the back, there's a little blurb here from Axios that says this is the book Trump fears most. Why do you think? Why do you think? What makes this book different, Maggie Haberman? I wanted to paint a, a deeper portrait of Trump. I wanted to go back and look at the world that made him, the specifics of his character. And this is a character study. And Donald Trump does not like people talking about his character. Um, he prefers two versions of a portrait of him. And one is adulation. Mm -hmm. And one is one that basically makes him sound like a strongman, a, a very competent strongman. Mm -hmm. This is neither one of those. And so he <laughs> doesn't like that. OK, so it's not adulation. He's not a strongman. I'm sure it's a complex characterization because there's a lot of threads being pulled here. But he actually said, and it says so in the book, I believe, it says that he pointed at you at one point and says, she's like my psychiatrist. What did you think when he said that about you? That it didn't mean very much, uh, if anything. It was a, a meaningless line meant to flatter. Mm -hmm. He is always playing to whatever audience is in front of him. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that he has said that about his Twitter feed, other interviews he's given. He treats everyone... A bucket of chicken. <laughs> mm -hmm. He... Tra 
Have you ever eaten with him? Have you ever been with him when he eats? Have you ever eaten, seen him eat in front of you? This is me smiling. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, but if you are, let's say you are. Let's just say it for a second. I know you're not his psychiatrist, but if no. you were his psychiatrist, after doing this character study, a deep analysis, if you were, uh, if you would, doctor, what would be your diagnosis? Uh, I intentionally didn't write a book of takes. I wrote a book of reporting about who he is. Uh, and so my diagnosis, I think, is uh, in the book, and I hope people read it. Well, I feel, I feel vaguely scolded for asking you that question. No. I did not do takes, no. Stephen. <laughs> not that. No, 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 not that. Okay. No, no, no. Just, okay. just, just it, but it's reporting, and I want people to read the reporting. Well, there's amazing stuff in here. There's bombshells in this book. Thank um, you. One of the things we learned here, this is reporting you did for the New York Times, but it's also in the book. He flushes notes and government documents down the toilet. He mistook staffers of color as the waiters at the White House. He insulted Angela Merkel, called her that B. Did he say that B or did he say B-I-T-C-H? Um, the, the latter. The latter? Yes, yes. Okay. And he didn't spell it. He, he didn't just, spell he it? Said it? Could he spell it? <laughs> okay. The list goes on. What do you think in the book upsets him the most? The flushing documents down the toilet. Uh, was, act, was actually, I think, yes, I think that was what upset him the most. Uh, he had a, a, an immediate and pronounced and angry reaction to that reporting when I put it out many months ago. It was reporting call, that I am. Uh, he, he issued a, a statement. It was a phone call to the world. And, uh, and I think his exact statement was, uh, his question was, who would know that? Which I think was actually a literal question that he was asking. Um, but he asked it out loud. Right. Um, but it made, him, it made him quite angry. And then he spent some time asking some of his aides you know, what do you think of that reporting? And usually that's because he's trying to figure out whether something is damaging to him or not, yeah. or, or how much more could be there. You all have photographs, too. There were photographs of the, of the stuff torn up at the bottom of the toilet. There, there, there were on, in two different toilets in two different countries, one this one and one overseas. Wow. Right. So he's spreading it out not to clog up one pipe that way. <laughs> very thoughtful, because he's very obsessed. Remember how obsessed he was with, like, low-flow toilets? Now we know why. I think, I, think, I think it may have answered some questions, yes. Can you talk about the role the media played um, in the rise of the former president, uh, politically, I mean? Um, how much of that and his success in politics and the trust that people had in him has to do with the success of The Apprentice? An enormous amount. I think without The Apprentice, there is no Donald Trump presidency because he was basically playing himself on a television show that was produced by a fan of The Art of the Deal, Mark Burnett. And, you know, it, it was all staged. It was creating... The people who were involved in the show have talked about how they were trying to make a sort of broken-down, uh, eroding empire look magnificent for the screen. And... What do you, what do you mean? Like, how, how so? They built a conference room on a, on a set. Because, That's not his conference room? No. Uh, you know, the, they, when they were filming in one of the casinos, they realized it looked a little dingy. Uh, you know, it had seen better days. Um, and so he was basically built up to this, you know, sitting in a leather-backed chair, and he came up with this catch line, you're fired, which the producers of the show realized was gold, and he was emulating George Steinbrenner, the former owner of the Yankees, when he did it. Uh, but this was a presentation that viewers saw, and I didn't really understand this until... I was not an apprentice watcher, but I didn't really understand this until I was in Iowa, and I was interviewing voters during the Iowa caucuses in 2016. And I was asking people at one of his final rallies in Dubuque, Iowa, a, a very leading question, which was, 
basically, are you here because this is the last time you're going to see him? The spectacle's ending. And I kept getting these answers, no, I'm caucusing for him. And one man looked at me like I had eight heads when I asked the question and said, you know, I, I, I'm caucusing for him. And I said, why? And he said, I watched him run his business. And he meant The Apprentice. So without The Apprentice... Which was all uh, illusion. Which was, which was television. It was the art of television, yeah. Wow. And we know that television can be an enormous good in the world. We know this... <laughs> I mean, naturally, yes, of course. So, speaking of of the harm that television can do in many different ways, do you think that it is possible to, or or the right thing to do, you think it's possible to ignore a former president who doesn't want to be ignored? Because you you can ignore George W. Bush, he just goes and paints, you know? But, and fishes and stuff like that, and, you know, let him do that. But we struggle with that here, is that, you know, I don't decide what the stories are. We're talking about what people are talking about. And he just won't go away. Can he be ignored? At this point, no. I don't think you can ignore a former president. One of the things that I found in the course of the reporting and the writing was the real issue, the significant criticism of media relates to the 70s, 80s, 90s, all of these news stories as he's myth-making about himself, Mm -hmm. describing himself as bigger than he is, uh, describing himself as coming back from bankruptcies when he he really hadn't yet. And Mm -hmm. then he gets to The Apprentice and that carries him him through. By the time he became a candidate, for the reasons I said, a lot of voters in the Republican base believed he was this hyper-successful tycoon. But then he had a, a real thing. He had a solid base of voters behind him who wouldn't believe anything they were told otherwise about him. And he has them still. Now, he doesn't have the whole Republican Party right now. There are aspects of the party that are not with him. But I think if he's the nominee again, they will be with him. I don't think it's responsible to ignore it. I do think it's responsible to contextualize it. Now, you, you were one of the first people to take him seriously, maybe the first major reporter to take him seriously. Did you feel like a Cassandra when you were doing that? I was like, no, this guy's not a joke. This guy is real. I remember in 2011 writing a lot as he was running for president, sort of. He hadn't yeah. actually announced. It was mostly the Obama birth certificate thing was what he was using as his sort of magic carpet. He was using the birther lie to elevate himself because he saw that it worked and he was on it much earlier than we realized. He was talking to people about it behind the scenes before he started talking about it in interviews and he was using it in a very, it it was incredibly cynical politics uh, and he refused to get off of it and we all thought we were fact checking him and in fact we were just spreading this further which is something else that I think we all have to think about in terms of how we do our jobs. So if you shouldn't ignore him and what he's saying are lies, but by checking the lies, you repeat the lies and drive them to people's heads so they forget that they're lies and only remember the accusations. What's left? At this point, we can't ignore him. I think we should have done things differently in 2011, even though I think the media was correct for rebutting this. I just don't think we thought about what the effect was because he exists in these 10-minute increments of time, but we, we exist in 24 hours, so... We have to take a quick break, uh, but when I come back, I'll ask Maggie about the moment she suspected he might have taken more documents than he should have from the White House. Stick around. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. 
Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hey, everybody. We're back here with Maggie Haberman from the New York Times and author of the new book, Confidence Man. I, I, I know you're, you're no prophet. You're a journalist. I'm not asking you to oraculate, but do you think that he's going to run in 2024? I think he has backed himself into a corner where he has to. I think that... What, what corner? The corner is he wants attention, he wants to fundraise, and he's under investigation. And he wants to be able to say the investigations are witch hunts, and he would love to have the constitutional armor the presidency affords him back. So I don't think his heart is particularly in it. He doesn't seem to be enjoying himself with politics the way he once did. Uh, now, maybe that will come again, but I do think at the moment, I think he will run. It doesn't mean he will stay in the whole time, but I do think he will announce a candidacy. You, in, in, your, in your reporting in here, you say that there's a moment where he sort of admits that he took documents he shouldn't have from the White House. Can you, you can recount that moment for us? It was a strange and very vague comment. I asked him on a lark if he had taken documents from the White House. Memento. You said documents, not like... No, I said memento documents. Okay. That, was the, that was the quote. Because he would wave around the correspondence from Kim Jong-un when he was in the Oval sure, Office. beautiful letters. Beautiful letters, you know, to... Yeah. to Love letters. Visitor, reporters, he would, he would yeah. literally do this. And yeah. so, uh, so I asked him, did you take anything? And he said, nothing of great urgency, no. You know, I had no way of knowing that that wasn't the case at the time. Then he volunteered something about the letters, the KJU letters, and said something like, we have these great letters. And I said, oh, you took those with you? And registering my surprise, he kept talking, like he didn't want to answer the question. And I said, ha, or wow, or something. And he registered my surprise and said, oh, no, no, those are in the archives. But, you know, we we have great things. They weren't in the archives. We they were found later. They yeah. were right, and and it turned out the archives had been trying to get them back. And, and huge kudos to the Washington Post for for their reporting on this. Uh, and kudos it, to the archives. And Here's for librarians. The librarians who really have been a, a thorn in his side uh, for for the last 18 months, trying to get government property back that doesn't belong to him. Uh, but on a he, certain level, we all wish we were librarians, <laughs> so we could just go. Shh. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Maggie, thank you so much for being here. Confidence Man is available now. It's Maggie Haberman, everybody. This has been The Late Show Poncho with Stephen Colbert. If you're enjoying The Late Show Poncho, leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Watch The Late Show with Stephen Colbert weeknights at 11.35, 10.35 Central on CBS and Paramount+. Plus. And for more exclusive Late Show content, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Late Show on YouTube. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. John Stewart is back at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition wherever you get your podcasts.